I have a key rule with my children that I keep and have kept in my entire life, which is you don't get in trouble if you don't lie. As long as you tell me the truth, as long as we create this open dialogue where we're able to talk about what comes up, then we have this space to continue to grow, mm. to learn what's working, to learn what's not working. Mm. And it has been tremendous you know, especially now that I have a 15 year old and I've not only just said that, but I've had to back it up year after year mm -hmm. so that he knows that that is really, that is really true. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. What is the essential role of a father? Have you faced your own father wounds yet? Or are you still on some level holding it against your father for not being all you needed him to be? Well, in this episode, my guest Kelly Gardner and I mine these questions and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. Kelly Gardner is a deep and wise man, and he's a father. And Kelly is yet another man in my recent series of guests who is a member of my men's group. We've recently had the brilliant multifaceted artist Arie Orr speaking on men and creativity, my deep brother from Detroit, Arjuna O'Neill, talking on men and conflict, Stefanos Sifandos in the last episode talking about the freedom wound many men share and the importance of doing men's work. And I've got more of my brothers coming on soon as well. And today we have Kelly Gardner. Now, for the last few years, I've been watching Kelly model a brilliant flavor of fatherhood to his two boys, Jai and Soul, and quite frankly, to many of us men in the group as well. And I invited Kelly on to men this way because I've personally seen the man be repeatedly masterful as an embodied leader of masculine and feminine values his strength of character, his penetrating vision. The man sees things in our group, in each other, in himself, that others fail to see, as well as his capacity for creating deep connection with other men, even in the midst of conflict. Professionally, Kelly has received awards and recognition for his work as the artistic director of City at Peace Los Angeles, as well as for his educational programming in Washington, D.C. for organizations including the Smithsonian Institute and Library of Congress. Kelly was a member of the filmmaking faculty at the New York Film Academy, holding positions such as the director of community outreach, chair of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the dean of students. He also lectured on the topics of compassionate communication and the art of teaching. And today, Kelly is all in on leading dads towards the next great evolution in fatherhood. And we talk about fatherhood, the essential roles a father plays, and the profound paradox a masterful father knows how to live inside. We talk about the absence of fathers in men's lives and what it means to stop sunning your father. In other words, to stop expecting the things a son naturally expects from a father. We talk about all that and more. Now, one last thing before we dive in. I want you to know about my new coaching program for men, Elevate Your Relationship. 
Elevate Your Relationship is a six-month live coaching experience for men ready to elevate their adventures in love and intimacy. In this live six-month coaching experience in which you get direct personal coaching support from me, you learn how to better navigate conflict, how to create and maintain healthy boundaries, be your full authentic self in relationship to your partner, create emotional connection with your partner, practice the art of masculine feminine intimacy for deeper passion, and more. This is a coaching program exclusively for men ready to elevate their relationship experiences, men who want deeper fulfillment and satisfaction in intimacy, who want consistent, mutually enjoyable and connected sex with their partners, men who want to end the unnecessary arguments that make relationships miserable, in other words, men who simply refuse to be destined to suck at relationships forevermore and who are committed to doing the inner work necessary to finally thrive in relationship. If that sounds like you, go to www.brianreeves.com slash E-Y-R. It's Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash E-Y-R. And fill out the application form on that page. That'll get you to a no-cost, no-pressure phone consultation to explore if Elevate Your Relationship is a good fit for you. Seriously, I don't do pressure sales. I don't like it when it's done to me, and I won't do it to you. This phone conversation is a genuine exploration to see if this is a good fit for you. Apply now at brianreeves.com slash E-Y-R. All right, now back to my conversation with Kelly Gardner. Take a deep breath and stay present with us all the way through to the end of this episode of Men This Way. All right, let's dive. My man, Kelly Gardner, welcome to Men This Way. I am so delighted and honored to have you on, man. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's such an honor, man. I'm I'm actually really visually shaken right now in this moment. It's such an honor. And and I, before I tell you uh, more, I just want to share with you that this is really the culmination of a dream for me. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an avid listener to your podcast. And, um, you know, when I was listening to the intro, I, I just kind of started getting emotional because mm. I remember about four or five years ago, um, I was sitting in a corner office um, as the dean of a, a college and realizing that this wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I looked around and realized that the people that I went to work every day with were not my people. They weren't my community. And every day I would commute an hour and a half listening to podcasts. And I realized that I had made those people on those podcasts my community. Mm. And I made a commitment to myself in that moment that it was time for me to really make those people my community. Uh, and you know, being an avid listener to your podcast, to all of the great gifts that you bring to your listeners, to be here on the flip side of that, knowing you, what amazing man that you are, being able to say that you were a brother and a friend, mm -hmm. and to be here today is just the realization of a dream. So thank you. I'm I'm very touched to just start this out. Wow. Well, wow. Thank you, Kelly. I didn't I didn't know some of that, much of that. And you know, I often feel like I'm just making this shit up as I go. And you, you know, you know what I'm talking about, you know, just making this shit up as I go. What am I doing? I don't have any fucking idea. Most of the time I'm just, just trying to, you know, live the day well and, and make sure that by the time I go to sleep, I feel good about what just happened 
over the last, you know, 12, 16 hours. And, um, so it's, I really appreciate your reflecting back what a meaningful moment this is for you kind of a full circle mm. moment, but not even full circle, like a, like a spiraling up into the, to, to the life. Yeah. That you feel called to live and are living. And, you know, you and I, we both just got back from our, uh, a men's retreat that we, we do uh, a couple mm. times a year with our, with our, our crew. And I'm, I'm curious, man, um, what was special about that for you? that weekend that we just shared. Yeah. You know, I think there is, you know, we stay in community every day, um, virtually connected and, and there's such a commitment amongst our crew to continue to do that. There's something very different about sharing space. Uh, and so that opportunity to really just be next to each other, belly to belly, shoulder to shoulder, feel you energetically. Uh, and to have those long form conversations to really just drop in, get to know on a deeper level what's present, to bat back and forth the ideas. Um, you know, we, we did some processes over the weekend, particularly in, in clearing as we mm. build up community. All of our stuff starts to come up. All of my stuff starts to come up in the process of that and the reflections mm -hmm. of the men. And so, you know, that was one of the greatest pieces for me of the that that weekend, this weekend in particular, was getting to see how, you know, as we continue to grow community, all of our family stuff starts to come up, all of my my wounding starts to come up and yeah. as reflections and and you know, we understand that as a group of men and it still shows up and it still needs to be tended to over and over yeah. again and work through. And, and that was, I think, my big takeaway is that the work never stops. It yeah. just keeps on deepening. Uh, and I like that spiraling metaphor that you put, mm. you know, spiraling, spiraling both upward and downward. I think mm. we often forget, I often forget the importance of that spiraling downward rooting into my depth, rooting into mm -hmm. my darkness, rooting into all of that uh, earth uh, that is there to, to grow and support us. Yeah. Well, one of the themes that we often talk about amongst us is in a, in a way we are, we are fathering each other. We are mm -hmm. stepping into not necessarily intentionally, but by the, and, and I'm excited for our conversation today because we're going to be talking about fatherhood. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm, I'm just so, you know, Kelly, you're, you're an obvious choice for, for a guest to be on men this way. I mean, the, I conceived of this podcast as a place where men could have wisdom conversations where we could, could, could come and, and, and I don't know, seek and experience, you know, wisdom and uh, how, how, in a way, how ambitious of me to think that I might be able to create such a thing, but nonetheless, fuck it, here we are. <laughs> and so, um, <clears throat> you know, I think as we men, we come together and we deepen with each other and you're right. We, we hit these, these areas of deep sensitivity and wounding and we conflict and then we do conflict in ways that are, uh, I say, profoundly constructive and connecting. Um, that's one of the roles that you play so beautifully for our group is you are the, in a way, the, the great connector, we could say, you know, mm -hmm. you're always a stand for 
connection for right you you bring in the the the, the nonviolent communication um i don't know what you'd call that sort of the the ethos of connection before correction mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so i just want to honor you man as as a man that that um uh you know in our great journey to reparent ourselves uh man i'm i'm honored to have you as a brother on that journey uh, thank you very much I, I deeply receive that you know your reflection is so valuable to me uh, and you are a man who who carries that that energy of father so present in our group in the way that you show up in the world um, and that's you know something that I've you know really been reflecting on you know in this last year is is really what is that quality you know it's not about necessarily being the biological, um, seed giver to to life, but really, how do we show up in that quality of fatherhood? And you know, as being you know one of our resident elders, that's uh, something we get to talk about as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, in in the ways that you have uh, brought your presence and the gifts that you bring to the group, um, you know, it, it is such an honor to kind of to bounce that energy up against other men and really see where um where it's necessary you know and and my background in compassionate communication you know is is a tool and learning all of the tools that come together and and how they show up in different ways uh to support at different times um you know conflict uh you know conflict resolution or or you know as i call it compassionate communication can be really good at uh helping me to get my needs met but i also get to look at uh, the places in where i may be conflict avoidant uh or you know looking at how can i lean into conflict in a, a really good and healthy way so all of those things get to bear as i show up with powerful men that can yeah. reflect not just where I'm showing up positively, but also where I'm maybe ineffective and where mm-hmm. my growth edges are. Yeah. As, as we will sometimes say, iron sharpening iron. Mm-hmm. Now, Kelly, so before we dive further into the, the fatherhood conversation, um, you know, I, I want to help our listeners get to know you better. And I'm so aware of, of your fascinating background. You're growing up in North Carolina, straddling cultures. and um, But this is the question I like to ask many of my guests to, to get us kicked off is, is um, tell us about a significant event or experience in your early life that played a fundamental role in shaping you as a man. You know, there, there are so many of them uh you know it's hard to, to pick one mm-hmm. but as you you asked this question i was immediately thinking about um you know in the last year uh, or couple of years really the re- resurfacing of the questions around race uh you know and i remember you know growing up in north carolina um mixed race uh, my father is african-american with cherokee uh, my mother's Scottish and Irish. Uh, and back in the late 70s, early 80s, I was very rare in these parts. Um, and growing up around my mother's family, I you know, primarily grew up within a culturally a white uh, community, um, a very interestingly white community because it was um, uh, a kind of a lower class white community where my father's family was kind of an upper class black community. So everything in my life has always been backwards. But I remember specifically in high school, I was uh, my junior year, I was dating someone and um, their parents told me they couldn't date me because I was black. 
And it didn't actually occur to me until that very moment that I was actually black mm. in that sense. And I, I could see the skin tone, you know, my, my experience and my culture and, and the way that I grew up was, was very different. But in that moment, I, I, I got to see the impact of how someone else's frame or way of viewing me constructed or constrained the way that I could live my life. And that was such a beneficial experience to start to see, one, what was mine, what I could own, but also what was the impact of other people's perception on me. It was, you know, it was really difficult. You know, at that point in time, I was, I was, you know, was the, the captain of the team, the class president. I was, I was Mr. High School. You know, how could you mm. not let someone date me because mm. I'm of the color of my skin? But really what it, it began was a long journey of deepening my understanding and compassion for that person. What was it about that person if I were to not villainize them? But what was their fear? What was coming up for them in that experience? Not to let them off the hook, but to find a deeper understanding. And that began a long journey of the next decade of really deep diving deep into race relations. And uh, ultimately, you know, I, I served as the director of equity and inclusion at the university and really getting to understand um, how our differences shape us but also bring us back to a deeper understanding of who innately I am. Mm. Um, you know, and I think being back here in North Carolina, again, after 20 years of living out in California, uh, how much that has changed and yet how much it's still the same. My neighbor across the street uh, proudly flies a, a Confederate flag um, along with a few other choice flags that I might want to use the language around. <laughs> oh, um, goodness. Okay. <laughs> wow. Uh, and you know, where do I get to? He is my neighbor. You know, where do I get to build bridges um, that create greater connection, even with the people that I fundamentally disagree with? And I think you know, these experiences of, of difference, of differentiation, of separation have been essential to bringing me back to that deeper understanding of how do we find connection? How do we find, uh, how do I find a similarity with this man across the street who's my neighbor, um, mm. you know, who incidentally has invited me over to have a, have a beer and, and I'm, I'm going to take him up on that. Uh, you know, I was wondering, I was wondering if y'all had shared some North Carolina sweet tea. <laughs> 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 ah, but good to know the invitations there. Great. It is, it is, you know, and it, it's a slow, it's a slow go. You know, we, you know, it just starts by just acknowledging every single day, every time I see him on his Harley or whatever mm -hmm. it may be, you know, I just, I just say hello, let him yeah. know that I, I see him, I'm there. And over months, you know, eventually we have conversations and those conversations lead to, to connection. Uh, yeah. And, you know, how do I get to see um, the humanity of every human being in order to draw that deeper connection. Yeah. Oh, beautiful, man. So let's dive into fatherhood. Now, first you're a father, mm. right? Tell mm -hmm. us, you got, you got two boys. Tell us a little bit about your boys. Yeah. So I have a seven-year-old, um, Jai, and my 15-year-old soul, um, two very distinctly different journeys um, in, of fatherhood. In fact, I've been, you know, one of the things I look back on is, I, you know, I've had all, virtually every experience um, of fatherhood that I think a person could possibly have. Uh, when Soul first came along, my older my older son, 
Uh, I was in graduate school. My partner at the same time was in graduate school and, and you know, we did not expect to have a child. Uh, so I dropped out of school to to be a stay-at-home dad. Um, and I had that experience of of being a stay-at-home dad to a very small child and, and you know, learning how to breastfeed. And, and, you know, I really had like a fake boob at one point in time, you know, having to, to experience experience, um, you know, and at that time with my limited understanding, I would refer to myself as a single mom, um, you know, to this, at this, at this point, I realized that was, that was a crock up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh-huh. just, I'm just a dad doing dad, uh-huh. uh, you know, um, and so progressed into, you know, later in his life, moving back into career, um, you know, being a, a, a co-parent, um, working through a very difficult divorce, learning all about um, the way that I showed up as villainizing my partner and how difficult it was to create a positive bond through that. Today, you know, she is like a sister to me and, and we have a great time, uh, you know, sharing and, and collaborating um, with our teenager. You know, when my second child came along, I thought, you know, this is second marriage, I'm going to do this better. I'm going to fix all of the things that I did before. You know, I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to just focus on being with the child. You know, I've got to build the kingdom. I've got to have the career and, and all of these things. And someone's got to go back to work. And so, you know, I, the, the second time around, I, I was a, a full-time working dad. Uh, you know, I went to the university and, you know, was commuting an hour each day and mm. created the space for my partner to be able to stay at home and and, and be a you know, a stay-at-home mom I was really proud of that, but you know, creating that the the division of, of labor in, mm-hmm. in that way, and and how much that created separations uh, amongst us, and you know, and so when I left my career, then we became a fifty-fifty relationship. Um, you know, mm-hmm. moving into that space where we're holding, you know, holding it equally, and and working part time, and working part time, and 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 trying to do all of those things. Um, until eventually uh, that relationship uh, came to an end, largely around um, you know, a change in my partner's, um, to say it bluntly, or sexuality. Um, you know, those are things that you just can't foresee. Mm-hmm. We're great friends and co-parents to this day. Uh, and so in that journey, I, at, for a short period of time, I was actually a, I was a, a father on the road. Um, so I've, I've had the gift of seeing all of the different variations of what fatherhood could look like. I think that's been one of the greatest gifts for me in this process. Um, And so today uh, I have a full-time, a teenager here and navigating uh, what it's like uh, talking, you know, all the the sex talks and and the Mm -hmm. grades where, you know, we were just having an in-depth conversation about his commitments to, you know, his grades and and, those kinds of things. And, you know, having a seven-year-old who has um, developmental delays and, and navigating the world of um, individual educational uh, plans and and all, you know the uh, the education system to get his needs met. It, it's been a a wonderfully rich journey mm. uh, to get to see all of these different aspects. And where's your father been in all of this? Mm, that's a really good question. Yeah, and that's. You know, um, so it turns out my father lives right down the road in Charlotte, about two hours away. Um, and, you know, when I first got into men's work, that was one of the most important pieces of really doing the work was healing my relationship with my father for myself. Um, you know, I, I, like many men, have had a 
a challenging relationship with my father. There have been times when he has shown up and been really beautiful, mostly around sports, mostly around, um, you know, my athletic self. And I'm deeply grateful for that. Deeply grateful for the ways that he showed up, encouraged me to use my body to this day. That is something that is such a, a key aspect of who I am. I'm so grateful for that. But emotionally, he'd been absent. Um, and he'd made some choices earlier in my life um, that really let me down in a big way. And there was a time when I didn't really have a relationship with my father. Uh, you know, I had put him at a distance so as to not give him the space to let me down again. And when I was doing my, you know, my first, it was actually an uh, MKP retreat, Mankind Project. Uh, and I came to terms with a lot of uh, what was present with my father. And I gave him a call and just had a clearing call, owned what was mine and said, you know, dad, this is what happened. This is what I made it mean. And these were the choices that I made to remove you from my life. And I don't want to do that anymore. Mm. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have you in my life. And of course, a lot of crying and, you know, and, and through the conversation and it set us up for an opportunity to really connect. Um, mm. and, and we've had some really great conversations um, since that, you know, I was yeah. really deeply grateful. You know, he would tell me every time he heard that Stevie Wonder song, I just called to say, I love you. He thought of that call, mm. you know, and that really touched me deeply, mm. you know, yes. and, and then when I moved here to North Carolina, uh, unfortunately he has not really been that present. Um, mm. and it has been a, a big letdown, um, in many ways. Uh, and I've chosen to continue to leave my heart open. Uh, mm -hmm. I got a message from him yesterday. It was my birthday, turned 46 mm -hmm. yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a message from him and he said, you know, uh, one of many, many messages just saying, you know, hey, I'm still thinking of you, been busy. Um, I want to come up and visit you. And I've been getting that message for about a year now. Yeah. Just looked at the message and said, thanks, dad. I, I love you too. Um, yeah. We, we really look forward to seeing you whenever that happens. You know, yeah. The door's open. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's a, it, in some ways, it's a tragedy. And in other ways, I remember the core thing for me to always remember and always come back to. I did this prayer for many, many years where I put my forehead down to the ground and I said, thank you to my ancestors. Thank you to each and every one of you that came before me. I know that I stand on the backs of giants because you did the very best that you could with what you had. You did the very best that you could with what you had. And now it's here for me yeah. to pick up that mantle and carry it forward. I've been working with a, a therapist who I intentionally chose as an elder male. He was in his, in his mid seventies, really winding down his professional career. And he was a, an author in the, in the, in the seventies men's movement, wrote some books called like flying boy and breaking the mother son bond wounds and things like this. Uh, just a few months ago, I'm it's like, like you ever since mankind project, I did that that weekend as well. Gosh, eight years ago, maybe eight, eight, nine, nine years ago. Yeah. First time I've discovered how fucking angry I was at my dad. I had no, I, I had just buried it. Didn't know. And one of the, the insights that I've, that this therapist gifted me is, is, is the, to stop sunning my father, mm -hmm. stop sunning, stop expecting the things that a son expects from a father. Mm -hmm. 
And that's been huge for me and the way the, the ways that I've had conversations with him. And I've been working at this similar to you. It's an ongoing journey because my my dad refuses to be the fantasy father that the son part of me is dying for. And we'll probably always on some level die for. And and so I get to keep working at it and yeah. and, you know, stop sunning your father. That, that's been a big one. Big, huge yeah. insight. Yeah, for me and the way that I've I've shifted my relating, the way mm. that I relate to him. Because quite frankly, he's a man that I wouldn't be friends with. He wouldn't be mm -hmm. in my friend tribe. Yeah, yeah. And he's still my goddamn father. Yes, he is. He's yes, my fucking he father. Is. You know, yeah. there's there's a I don't know duty, but there's certainly I feel I carry a responsibility to care for that man mm. as he he just turned seventy eight yesterday. Mm. We have the same wait, birthday. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait, that's weird. <laughs> oh shit. Oh well, here we go, Kelly. You're my daddy. You're my daddy. You're my energetic daddy. Well, and, and our other friend has a son who's on the same birthday. That's right. Kingston. Yeah, that's right. Amazing. Three generations. Yeah. I love mm -hmm. that. Um, so you know, okay, pivoting. When I first met my wife, who's now my wife, so Sylvie. On our very first date, I told her, we were talking about parenthood and fatherhood, and I told her what I thought fathers are for. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I probably heard someone say something like this, and I thought this was really, really wise and interesting. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that connects with me. And I want to share that with you, and then I want to hear your definition. Like, what do you think Easy. fathers are for? But what I told her was, um, I think one of the main roles of a father is to prepare his children to live without him as soon as possible. And I, I love that answer still. I know it is, it is not necessarily, well, what do I, what the fuck do I know? I'm not a father yet. Sylvia and I are on the cusp. We're trying, we're, we're mm -hmm. in it. We're in it yeah. really, you know, God willing, we'll have a baby in within 10 months. Yeah. Um, what say you, what, what are fathers for? Sure. Yeah. First of all, just holding out that prayer. And uh, I know that you, you already are a father in so many ways. And I'm Thank just you. waiting for the, the day that this world is blessed with Thank your you. biological child um, receiving Thank that you. guidance. And, you know, I would say that that is absolutely true to a point. Hmm. Um, one of the things, you know, and I've talked to you about some of the work that I've done with the Animus Institute and Bill Plotkin mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and I, when I came across that work, it was just like, aha, like, yes, this is everything that I've, I've done in education. Yeah. Uh, you know, I did 20, 20 years, uh, you know, in, in educational spaces um, and, and really looking at a deeper understanding of development and, you know, the developmental journey of the soul. And I would say that that is absolutely right. Um, it at the, you know, what he would call the fourth stage of development in the cocoon moving towards my transition into adulthood. Um, that is the main task and role that I have with my 15-year-old right now. Mm -hmm. My main role with my 15-year-old is to prepare him to be out of this house on his own in mm -hmm. every way, shape, and form that he can. Mm -hmm. My goal is at 18. I would like to see at 18 that he has the skills to be able to provide for himself to do what he needs to do because that gives him the opportunity to move into the next stage of his development mm -hmm. when he chooses and when he's ready for it. Ultimately, you know, each stage, there are a different set of tasks that are laid out for, for me as a father. But I think, um, you know, ultimately, you know, the, 
the key piece of it is to remember that I am here to steward their journey. And how do I steward their journey is primarily through modeling, um, you know, at, at different stages, you know, um, you know, my that first stage and you know, creating that nest, that space for this, this soul to embody, to move from the spirit world into the, the, the physical real world and to create that safety to let them know it is okay for you to be here. Not only that it is okay that you are loved, that you are taken care of, to create those really good, solid attachment bonds. They feel secure. They know that they are here embodied in a positive way. You know, I think that is, you know, at the core and root of so much uh, that will show up later in life. But ultimately, you know, the biggest piece of advice that I give to every parent, um, the best piece of advice that I ever received is as soon as you see, as soon as I seek to change something in my children, first seek to change it in myself. How can I look at this behavior and go, oh, I don't like that? Well, if I don't like that, it's triggering something up in me. Either I wasn't given permission to do that or I, 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 I did that and, you know, didn't like the results of it. You know, all of these things that are coming up in me, I get to look at where am I still doing that? Where do I get to set better standards for how I show up in life, model those for my children, and then be be very clear about collaborating? You know, it's certainly as we get to, uh, you know, to the second and third stages of development, how do I collaborate with them in setting their own goals, their own standards? Mm -hmm. you know, because ultimately, you know, again, I think at the core, I am seeking to uh, allow them to be on their own as soon as possible. And that looks very different at different stages. But if I haven't done that, um, you know, leading up to stage four, if I just start doing that, then it's probably too late. Mm -hmm. I have a, a, a key um, rule um, with my children um, that I keep and have kept in my entire life, which is um, you don't get in trouble if you don't lie. As long as you tell me the truth, as long as we create this open dialogue where we're able to talk about what comes up, then we have this space to continue to grow, mm. to learn what's working, to learn what's not working. Mm. And it has been tremendous, you know, especially now that I have a 15-year-old and I've not only just said that, but I've had to back it up year after year mm -hmm. so that he knows that that is really, that is really true. You know, especially now when we're getting into the stages where making mistakes can be very costly, I'm so happy to have that quality of relationship and engagement uh, as a father. Let's talk about this for a moment, because my uh, well, my my closest friend Tate um, grew up getting the message. He's also my my business partner, my co-facilitator in the men's work that I'm leading these days, and and one of the core messages and wounds that he got as a child was always tell us the truth and we won't be able to handle it. <laughs> always tell us the truth and we won't be able to handle it. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say inside of that is, is, is the counter to that. I want to, I want to explore this a little bit more. It's like, always tell me the truth and I promise you, we will be able to handle it. Yes. We'll be able to work through it. How, yes. What does that actually look like in practice? I mean, your son shares something with you that, you know, the the average typical parental response might not be so skillful, might be a shaming, blaming, punishing, how dare you, you're grounded, et cetera. 
you know, some type of, of, of angry rejecting of the, the truth shared. How do you then, how do you handle it? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that as you were talking, I was like, have I had any come up that I was just like, oh man, I, I do not want to, I do not want to follow this rule right now. I really, I really want to break this one. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I don't think, you know, more often than not, um, you know, I see it coming. I'm not surprised, you know, um, uh, I like to, you know, I have an approach, um, you know, I, I convinced my children early, early on that, um, my superpower is I know when someone's lied to me, that was the other piece that went along <laughs> with it, which is, you know, I, I did a really good job of convincing them that it was a futile attempt to lie to me because I would figure yeah. it out right away. Smart parenting right there. And my, my way of doing that is, you know, I, I used to be, you know, used to be the Dean of students, um, at a, a university. Right. And so, you know, when you'd got in trouble at school, uh, college, you know, you're in my office. Mm -hmm. And my approach was always to let you know that I believed everything that you were saying, and I am going to give you a lot of rope to hang yourself. Yeah. And there, and you're also now a stand in for the parents of those kids and they exactly. show up in the office. You're the projected parent now. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever, whatever they're carrying in from their parental relationships, they're putting on you. This person can't handle the truth. Yep. Exactly. And so my, my my approach is generally to take everything that you say at face value. You you tell me a bold faced lie, and I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to accept your bold faced lie, you know, and I'm going to just keep giving you that rope, right? Uh, uh -huh. Because here's what happens when people lie, right? Mm -hmm. Is you know if I get away with it, I'll do it again, mm -hmm. and I'll do it again, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, it all it is is just an indication that this is going to happen again, right? Mm -hmm. So I've now given you the rope. Now mm. we've, we've created basically a setup, right? Mm. Um, you are now going to go out and do it again. And now I'm watching. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. And here is where we get to, you know, the rubber hits the road. And, and I get to say, hey, you know, I know that you said that. This came up actually while we were at retreat. I didn't share with this with you. Um, you know, my son, uh, he was on his own um, for the weekend. This was his first time being away or mm -hmm. for me being away and him being by himself. And, you know, we set the rule that um, he couldn't have anybody over at the house. But Monday was, uh, and he followed, you know, he was really great about that. Uh, but Monday he had school and he takes the bus to school, but he conveniently missed the bus Monday morning. Mm. Right. Uh, and mm -hmm. didn't call and say, Hey dad, I missed the bus. Cause of course, if he did, then I would have called somebody and, and had him picked mm -hmm. up and taken mm -hmm. to school or got him whatever it needed to be. But, you know, he didn't let anybody know so that, mm -hmm. you know, and so, so, you know, so we come, I come home, we have, you know, this, this conversation and, you know, he's got the little smirk, like, yeah, I, I missed the bus. And I'm like, really? You know, and it's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I overslept and I'm like, you know, just kind of like, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I see what's going on here. Do you want to, you want to, you want to give me some more or do you right. want to double uh -huh. down on this? You know, and he was like, and he just kind of eventually is like, well, yeah, I kind of realized if I called you, you'd, yeah. you'd, you'd find to uh, figure it out. And I was like, good. Thank you. Now, thank uh -huh. you for acknowledging that. And we're not going to do that again. Uh -huh. But what a great gift it got to be now, right? To give him yeah. enough space to make that mistake or that ineffective yeah. choice so that we can address it now before he is on his own. Right. Yeah. Give them the rope to, to fall, to, to break themselves, to, to make the, the little earthquakes so that the big one doesn't necessarily have to come. You know what, as you're sharing this, what, what I, 
the sense I get is it's it's you're you're allowing your child to also experience the consequences of their behavior, yeah. but but not in a way that is again punitive. It's not you as dad taking out, making them feel the consequences through your anger or even your withdrawal, mm-hmm. right? Your neglect. Yeah. But rather just like, look, I'm with you in this. I'm I'm watching you. I'm watching. I'm gonna let you squirm. Like this is sort of the subtext. I'm gonna let you squirm so you really get to feel the consequences of even as I sit here and I'm I'm watching you lie to me. And you can feel in my energy, it's both loving and stern at the same time. I think that's really key that, I mean, we talk about this a lot in, in men's work, you know, being, being both, both, both fierce and loving at the same time, being, being, you know, strong and soft, mm-hmm. right? Living in, in this paradox. And I'm, I'm seeing that in your, in your practice of, of parenthood, really stewarding your child, letting them know, look, I'm here and I'm not going to save you from your, from the faith that you are sowing for yourself. I will guide you. I'm here. I won't let you fall, but I also won't let you uh, not fall in, in yeah. the ways that will help you learn. Yeah. You know, with my first son, um, you know, it's a great metaphor from reality. Uh, I was trained in a, um, in an improvisational theater company where we brought in kids to let them go wild. And I was trained to have a 360 degree view and always be able to see kids before they fell and everything. And so, you know, being at home with, with my, uh, my first child, you know, he would fall and I'd be right there to catch him, you know, Mm. right there to catch him, right there to catch him. Mm. He broke his arm three times before he was 10 years old. Wow. Because he never learned how to fall. Interesting. My older son, my younger son, home with his mom mom didn't have those abilities he felt we used to call him a, uh uh what was it uh head trauma child wow. <laughs> he'd uh-huh. be falling on his head like every other day uh-huh. that kid can take a fall like nobody's business mm. like you know he falls off his bike whoop, you look at him he kind of looks at you gets up brushes <laughs> it off gets back on the bike and goes right yeah um, but wow. that's, you know, that is that is one of the greatest lessons that I learned was mm. that the the resiliency um, is so much more valuable than the, the than the saving them from the fall. Yeah. And so mm. first and foremost, my love is never negotiable. That is fundamental will always be there. And I let them know, listen, if you kill somebody, I will still love you. My love is never coming off the table. Mm. That is a non-negotiable that will always be there. And I have a commitment every single day. The last, the last word that they will ever hear out of my voice will be, I love you. I never end a conversation. Don't say goodnight. Don't don't walk away. Don't get off the phone without saying I love you. That is a non-negotiable. You need to know that that will never go away. Everything else, um, you know, is is about how do we grow through this? And it's just like in men's work, I don't make the rules for them. We make the rules together. Yeah. We make commitments. What is your commitment in this? Right. We we look at what happened. Did that work? Did it not work? Do you like that, how it worked out? What's a better choice that you could make next time? How would you like me to support you in that choice, right? These are the same conversations that I'm having with a, a five-year-old that I'm having with a 15-year-old. Uh, you know, they get it gets mm-hmm. to be that way. And I get to collaborate with them on the choices that they're making in their lives and modeling how they are making choices. So that again, like you said, I do love that. The more that you say it, the more it's really sinking in. Yeah. 
when they eventually get on their own, they're going to be able, they're going to have the skills uh, to, to be on their own sooner mm. than later. Now, you have an interesting definition of fatherhood. Mm. You, yeah. you shared with me as in our conversations leading up to this conversation. I'd love for you to break that down for us here. What is your definition of fatherhood? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I really think about um, fatherhood from a, an archetypal um, expression that the the father is ultimately the embodiment of full masculine leadership. And I really think at the core, fatherhood is about leadership. And that's why I say I don't necessarily have to be the biological father to a child in order to claim fatherhood. And I make a distinction between dad and father, right? Mm. Dad is, is, a, is a biological uh, reference point. Mm. But fatherhood is its initiation into a higher level of adulthood mm. right? to be able to not just understand myself and have a clear understanding of who I am and where I stand in this world, but to move from a place where everything about me is emanating that choice of who I am. And from that embodiment of being that, I inspire other people to live to their highest being. You know, that's what eldership truly is in a way. And, and I think that, you know, our, our lack of eldership, and this is something we've talked a lot about, is a direct, it directly corresponds to our lack of fatherhood, our lack of true embodied leadership. If we don't have embodied leadership, then we don't have the ability to move from that holding space for my community to holding space for the all community. Right. And that's what true eldership is. It's moving from that space of, of, of mastery to my unique delivery system to holding that unique delivery system as a way of leading in life and then ultimately leading for all of life, removing myself from just that I belong to you, this family, but I belong to all of life and that and my interconnectedness. And so ultimately, you know, fatherhood is about the journey to claiming my my role in this world as a leader by deepening into my purpose, deepening into my exploration of my spirituality. What is my uh, my connection to that which cannot be known? What is my connection to my physical body, my groundedness and my understanding of how I am a part of nature and infinitely connected to that? And ultimately, how do I con connect with love and uh, provide connection primarily, you know, in my world through communication that opens up uh, my sense of compassion for the world and my expression of compassion. How do I develop that that fourfold way, that holding of the human being and in the masculine being, um, the embodiment of that masculine being being the reference of what a father is, and in that way. You know, as we raise more and more fathers into this world, you know, the absent father um, epidemic, as I'm referring to it, is is not just about the lack of dads in the in the homes of children, but it is the lack of real, authentic, masculine leadership—not shadow leadership, not adolescent leadership, but fully embodied, whole, masculine leadership—and that's to me what fatherhood is all about. You. You use this term embodied leadership, and immediately what comes up for me is, well, disembodied leadership. If the you know that would be the opposite, and that 
again, my mind goes to the overwhelming state of disembodiment that that so many men. I'm watching this great season now. Did you tell me about this? Somebody did. Maybe Adam. I can't remember. Uh, this the, the a show called The Sinner, <laughs> and there's a, the third season of The Sinner incredible show is essentially about men that can't feel mm. and the crazy fucked up things they're doing so they can try to feel something. And, you know, my, I'm watching this with my wife and she's, she's not, she's not immediately sort of picking up what's going on. And I'm like, this is leaping out of the screen, babe, mm. that, that, that this is what's happening here. These men can't fucking feel anything mm. and they're doing things to feel something. Mm. crazy things, dangerous things, hurtful things, just so they can feel. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of just our, our religions that put God up in the sky, away from the earth, disembodied from, from, from physical reality and, and so on and on and on and on and on. What does embodied leadership, particularly in the context of, of fatherhood, what does that mean to you to be embodied in leadership? Yeah, well, you know, I think the the opposite of it to to kind of go along the same theme is when you hear uh, "do what I say and not what I do," mm. right? Mm. That is the exact opposite of what leadership really looks like. You know, and if, if anyone who's been around a child immediately understands really quickly that it doesn't matter what you say, the words that are coming out of your out of my mouth are irrelevant. The way that I am showing up in life is what they are really learning, right? Uh, someone once said that, you know, the same mind that, that put a man on the moon or a person on the moon has nothing better to do all day but sit around and learn you. That's what they're doing. Everything, they're making sense out of the world by watching everything I do. Mm-hmm. And so if I want to be truly leading I have to walk my talk. I have to put it into the way that I be in the world. Mm. If I'm not being that, then it's irrelevant what kind of things I am saying. And, you know, fast forward to the leaders that we see in this world, mm-hmm. you know, and how few of them are actually living with the integrity of the things that they say they want. Right? Well, and, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing scream in my mind right now, just like the, the political fervor of the day, you know, let, let's, let's all rally around a great America and fuck those Americans who don't believe in my idea of America. There, there is the disembodiment right there. Let's all rally together. Together we can do this and fuck those who are, again, <laughs> yeah. who don't want to do it. D- total. Yeah. yeah. Do as I yeah. say, not as I do. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to my neighbor, I mean, to me, that is an opportunity for me to practice my embodied leadership. You know, it's one thing for me to sit around and talk about having, you know, a, about crossing the boundaries and and how much it's needed for us in the in this world to create uh, connections across our ideological boundaries. It's another thing to live across the street, you know, to face a rebel flag every mm-hmm. single day mm-hmm. and to really open up my heart and open up my space to this other individual. How do I get to practice that? Uh, that is really, I think, the ultimate, um, the space of leadership. And that's, that's really at the core what I am here for in this mm-hmm. life, in my belief. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, I am here to experience all the experiences that are available to me. And that's it. And learn and grow through those experiences and come back and do it over and over again. Yeah. 
A couple more questions, and then I want to start. I want to wrap us up with with my 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 lightning round of what I what I call the five core emotional triggers. But before we get there, I'm curious. What do you think? So this is sort of a two-part question. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing men and particularly fathers today? And what wisdom could you offer in the face of it? Actually, let's start with that question and then I'll ask the another question. For yeah. sure. What is the biggest challenge facing fathers today? Wow, that's a that's a big one. Um, I'm sitting here thinking about my clients and asking myself, what are what are people, what do I keep hearing? Um, over and over that that seems to be um, the most consistent one. You know, I think the, I'll come back to this question of uh, the statement of modeling, right? And I think the, the biggest challenge is um, the vast majority of us have no idea what this is supposed to look like. Mm. You know, it's something that we've talked about in our group that mm. you know, all of us, in tremendous men, none of us have what we would consider to be a positive father figure in our lives. Right. So mm -hmm. we are, I'm inventing what this looks like as I'm going through it. You know, and they, they always say that, you know, parenting doesn't come with a, ma a manual, but it does to a certain degree. And that manual is my life experiencing, my life's experience of being parented. Mm -hmm. So not only am I, I'm not seeing a positive model, but I'm having to rewrite ineffective models that have been passed down from generations uh, to, to redefine what a, a positive male role model really looks like, you know, and I get to piece it from here to here. And, and that's ultimately why, you know, I started creating groups for fathers to spaces where men could see other men push up against the challenges that they were facing, see the mirrors of how they were also showing up and how it was showing pieces of myself to really clarify that, you know, that because we don't have those models readily available to us. And, you know, there's a, we talked, you, you mentioned this earlier on, and there's a, a process that, you know, I think is essential for men to go through, which is I have to break up with my father mm. in my adolescence, moving into my adulthood. It's an, an essential st step of my process to become my own person to individuate. Mm. I have to break up with my father. And oftentimes I, in my adolescence will need to villainize my father in mm. order to break up with him. Right. Mm -hmm. But into my into my adulthood, it's a, it's important that I recognize that 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 villainizing was my own journey and is not an absolute truth. And so I get to break up with my father. I get to acknowledge that the pieces that I put on him were for me and then establish a new relationship. Now, the problem is, is that most of our fathers don't have the skills to establish those new relationships. Right. Right. And I mentioned this to you, you, you would say yeah. one time, um, you know, if it's okay for me to share this, you know, sure. you, would say one time that, you know, it was, you know, you had done something really amazing and it would be wonderful if your father could see you. Mm. And, and mm -hmm. I said, you know, it, it would be a tragedy because if he were there, he probably wouldn't be, have the ability to see you. Yeah. And so what instead we have done, I have done, you have done is gathered together a group of men who have the ability to see me. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, that's that's the biggest thing that I think is essential because the road of fatherhood is so lonely and so isolating yeah. that I find the space to get back in community with other fathers. Mm 
to create the spaces where I get to push up and mirror and be seen by people who can truly see me mm-hmm. um, so that I get to clarify this mirror, you know, gloss it up so I can see through it a little bit more and continue yeah. my work in my journey. Yeah. When you, when you said challenge that idea that it, that parenting doesn't come with a manual that actually it does. I, I had the, uh, vision of, you know, products I've ordered that come from China and they come with a manual written by someone who clearly doesn't speak good English. And it's like open part a part B six place upside. Thank you. What, <laughs> what, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? What am I, you know, and it's okay. That's, that's the manual that I inherited from my dad to some degree about how to be a parent. It does it's gibberish, but I have one. And <laughs> so, um, well, it's an art, you know, it's not yeah. a paint by numbers. It's an art. Right. Um, and so it's important that I don't have a manual. It's important that I do have the flexibility to grow and change and, and, and put it in my own unique human expression. Uh, that's part of the blessing of the unique parent that I got unique parent that my children will receive. All right. We've just had a, just a profound and, and rich conversation uh, about largely about fatherhood, about leadership as men as well, and what it means to be embodied versus disembodied. And let, let's see if we can, can wrap up with, with one key insight that you would offer our listeners on in in this context of what we're exploring, the one key insight that you believe can make a meaningful impact on their lives because it has in yours. Mm. Biggest insight I've had over the last couple of years is recognizing that the biggest challenges and the biggest obstacles that were facing me in my life were actually the greatest gifts. Mm. You know, and, I, and I'll, I'll refer to to my most recent divorce. Um, and the ending of a relationship uh, that was fraught with betrayal and um, a lot of challenges um, to that could be could have been really easy for me to point the finger at the other individual and say, you've done this, you've done that, you've done that. Some of it may have been true, but none of it was helpful. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I would say is very most helpful, if you're out there and you are and I'm facing a, a, a challenge, an uphill battle, something that feels like it has been done to me, that I have been wronged, that um, this opposition, this hurdle, this uh, conflict that is standing in front of my way uh, is somehow here to hurt me or here to do me an injustice. If I can just look around that in a new way, and accept that this is the gift. This is the absolute gift that is coming to me in my life right now. And I have to say this, that you know, God doesn't give me what I want. God gives me what I need. Replace that word God with whatever resonates mm-hmm. with you, source, Jah, Jehovah, Christ, Krishna, whatever it is, or just me. That deep source root that is connected to all is here working with me and through me in life. And so whatever it is that I'm confronting, if I just reframe that and ask myself, how is this moment right now showing up for me? What is it reflecting about me that I have 
found to be ineffective in life. You know, oftentimes, you know, it's just that protector that is coming up that kept me safe in an unsafe world and realizing that that is coming to me now because while that has kept me safe, while that has made me successful, it is also the very same thing that is holding me back from the life that I say that I want. So here it is. Here is the gift of the pain. Here's the gift of the heartache. Here is the gift of the unsettling, of the breaking to get me, give me the opportunity to look deeper into my life to the choices that I'm making and how I get to make new choices in this new season of life so that I may claim that gift that is being offered to me and return back to my community, as Joseph Campbell said, with a boon that will bring more gifts back to my community so that I may ultimately go back out there and continue recycling, refinding, rediscovering what is here for me. But if I look at that and say, woe is me, life hurts, this is what's taking me up, and all of those things are true, I'm still going to stay in that space, in that place for a very long time. And if I'm a parent, just consider what I am embodying in that moment and what I am teaching my children, my family about how to uh, address conflict uh, in that moment. I love that. What, what the, the metaphor that comes up for me either, or maybe it's analogy. I always get metaphors and analogies mixed up, but is, is, <clears throat> is like, get, get good at mining mountains of shit for gold. Yes, indeed. Wherever you think there's a mountain of shit in your life, mine that motherfucker for gold. Yes, indeed. Get good at that and life, life can't, life can't take you down. No, sir. No, sir. Absolutely. You know, that is the true resilience. That is the, that is the gift. And, yeah. you know, um, it, it is when I start to see life as, um, that is the richness, you know, it's, a. Uh, uh, a, a good friend of mine uses the metaphor of the couch in the castle. Um, Alexi Panos actually shared mm. this with me first. Um, the, the notion that, you know, I'm sitting on this couch uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm sitting on this couch and I'm looking out the window and I see this, this castle over there, you know, and I want to get to that castle, um, you know, and I, I get off of the couch and I go off into what we call the proving grounds, you know, where life is just beating me up and, and, you know, back and forth. And ultimately I get to that, that, that uh, castle and there's a moat in front of the castle. And I'm like, oh God, most people turn around, but I get over the moat. I scale, I get into the castle and what's waiting for me there, but a beautiful, big couch, bigger than the one I had, nicer <laughs> TV, but I'm back on the couch mm. and ultimately I'm unsettled. Mm. You know, I look out the window and I go, oh, there's another castle over there. Mm. The majority of my life is not going to be sitting on the, on the couch. Mm. It's going to be in pursuit. It's in the proving ground. Mm. So can I learn to love the proving ground, love the place where I get knocked around, where I get kicked in the nuts? <laughs> you know, can I learn to love that challenge? Because that's life. It's not the castle. It's not the couch. Yeah. It's yeah. the journey to getting there. Yeah. Kelly, let's wrap up with your five core emotional triggers. You ready? Yes, I, I do believe I am. What makes you mad? Incongruency with statement and action. Mm. What makes you sad? My inhumanity towards all of life, disrespecting life is deeply saddening to me. Mm. What causes you to feel joy? Connection, 
celebration. Immediately when you said that, I just got an image of my two boys. Mm. Growth. Mm. What causes you to feel fear? You know, that's a really hard one. And I'm going to admit that I run from fear. I, I, I immediately turn it into something else. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm good at that too. My <laughs> wife is always trying to call me out. Like, stop it. Stop bypassing that shit. I'm like, a woman? But, you know, my mind, my mind wants to do jujitsu with, with yeah. stuff that might be scary. She's like, well, stop it. Yeah, Just feel yeah. it. Feel yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, the truth is the biggest fear that I hold is failure. Yeah, the biggest the biggest fear I hold is not not fulfilling that deep core essence of who I know I am of letting myself down. It's funny. It's 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 so similar for me because uh, um, <clears throat> I, I feel like whatever life throws at me, I can I can I can dance with. I can mine that mountain of shit for gold. I've I've practiced that as a skill over the years. I've honed it, refined it. I feel like I got that. And I, I live with this just bizarre fear. My deepest fear is that I won't fulfill on what I came here to fulfill on. Like, mm -hmm. I don't even know how I'd fucking measure that. I don't even know like who's, who's got the scorecard. I'm not sure, but it's similar to you. Like there's an essence within me that I, you know, my, one of my teachers, uh, Steve James said that he, he, he experiences his life as the, the ship is sinking. His ship is sinking. There's nothing to be done about it. His only job is to get the gold off the boat. Mm. Just offload the gold. There's gold on this boat. All my my own, my job is to just offload it because the ship's going down and it's going to go down with gold on the boat. Let me just get as much gold off as I can so that the the people, the community, the world around me is enriched by that. And I, I love that. And I guess my fear would be that I'm not going to get the gold off the boat. Mm. Yeah. Does the, boat, does the gold go down with the boat? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? Uh, and <laughs> maybe that's just where it's supposed to go to. There's I mean, or he gets to go to the bottom of the ocean at some point in time. Well, it's a, it's certainly a, a mind fuck on some level. Uh, last one, dealer's choice. What causes you to feel shame or embarrassed or want, just makes you want to hide from the world? Yeah. You know, I think that it's directly connected to that. To that last one is the moments where I feel I'm not, fulfilling that core purpose, um, the, the places where, you know, I choose to numb the, the places where I choose to, um, to not follow through with the things that I know will be in my highest alignment. I feel deep shame around that. Mm. Um, yeah, it's the, and, and certainly moments where I don't live in integrity with who mm. I say I am each and every one of us. And, and that, that no matter how much I, I, I seek to do that, it's always like a game of whack-a-mole, mm. you know, it pops up somewhere that I didn't expect it. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm learning in, in, as I get older to have more compassion for even those aspects of myself. Certainly. Yeah. Well, Kelly, uh, before we conclude, please tell our listeners where they can learn more about you and what you're up to. Oh yeah. Thank you so much. Well, um, you find me on Instagram at community gardener, um, community .gardener. Uh, and the big initiative that I've been working on lately is uh, programs for fathers. Uh, I just launched a new program, uh, for new dads, 
Um, I'm also doing uh, mentorships, uh, one-on-ones with um, with uh, fathers in particular. Um, it's been a that's been one of the the really great gifts of my life. It was working uh, particularly with fathers in um, in a transitional portal. Um, you know, uh, having gone through divorce, separation, um, and done it in a way that I'm now on the other side with uh, two really wonderful relationships, uh, co-parenting. Um, you know, that is, is such a, a joy of mine to work with men one-on-one in that space. And I actually have two more spaces coming up. I don't know when this will come up. Um, you may have missed them, but I'll try to open up another one uh, uh, soon thereafter. Uh, so those are the ways that you can work with me um, in really, if you are interested um, in in fatherhood, in in getting involved, um, our mission is to end the epidemic of absent fatherhood by mm. creating spaces where men and fathers, dads, become more present to all of themselves. Mm. Um, let us know. Get involved. Have a conversation. Um, this is truly a movement, and the more people we can get involved in it, the more chance that it has to grow. Beautiful. Well, man, I. I don't know a better man to to lead the charge of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. You uh, have been and remain, and and God willing, as I step into my own journey of of, of actual child in my in my home, um, you will be a a beacon, uh, a role model myself, uh, for which I get to write a new manual, mm-hmm. to, who helps me write a new manual of fatherhood that I can you know, pass down to my child who will then of course look at it and go, the fuck is this? Who wrote this? <laughs> Come on, dad. You know, no, hopefully, you know, we're, we're breaking the patterns of our fathers so that our children can, we'll still have our mistakes to learn from, but, uh, I, I love the work that you're up to Kelly. I'm so glad, uh, we did this. This is a long time in coming and, and perfect timing men yes. go. If you're a father, Go check out uh, Kelly's links. They'll be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash men this way podcast. Um, Kelly's a good, good man to hang out with and work with and learn from. And um, best of luck to you with this, Kelly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brian. Such an honor to be here and much love to all the people that uh, took the time to listen. I know that you could be anywhere and I deeply appreciate your time and your 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 ear. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to my dear friend, Kelly Gardner. You can find Kelly on Instagram at community.gardner. Of course, that link and any additional resources will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. Remember, it's brian with a y, reeves.com slash podcast. Also, remember, if you're a man and you'd like to experience empowering transformational relationship coaching with me to help elevate your intimate relationship experiences, go to brianreeves.com EYR and fill out the application on that page to get started. If you're struggling in a relationship, do that today. Life is too short and your heart is too deep to continue making an ugly mess of love. Again, go to brianreeves.com slash E-Y-R. And lastly, please go write a review of this podcast on your podcast app. Doing so helps me and it helps this show immensely. And I really appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up 
your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.